lot of big international headlines this morning. So let's turn to CBS News Chief Foreign Affairs Correspondent and Face the Nation moderator, Margaret Brennan. Margaret, let's start in Ukraine. One year ago today, Russia began its invasion of that country, sparking one of the largest wars in Europe since World War II. Where do things stand one year later? Russia has 97% of its standing army on the ground in Ukraine. They are all in. It's not been going well. They're running low on ammunition. But there's also no sign, according to U.S. intelligence, that there is interest on Vladimir Putin's part to end this conflict. Uh, it was clear his estimations were wrong in terms of how quickly Kiev and Ukraine would fall. Um, but he seems determined to continue the conflict. And now we have this bombshell from the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, that China is considering providing weapons to Russia. That would ex- Yeah, what could that mean? I mean, that's a significant development here. It would extend potentially the conflict by giving Russia the ammunition and weaponry it badly needs. Their stockpiles have been hit by sanctions and just by the uh, duration of this fight. Um, It would also directly um, impact the relationship China has with Europe and the United States if they provide lethal support. Now, to be clear, China has been party to this conflict, even though it claims it's neutral. um, It has allowed Chinese companies to sell uh, things like satellite imagery to um, Russian mercenaries to help them target better, uh, to help them in combat. So they are part of this conflict, but providing guns and bullets um, would put them uh, directly in the midst of this conflict in a way that would cause the U.S. and Europe to sanction um, them potentially. And that would just uh, have an economic impact. Iran, as I mentioned, is also already providing weapons to Russia. So this is um, this is something where Russia isn't completely isolated. They do have friends. And if China does make this move, are sanctions how the U.S. would respond? What would the U.S. response look like or could look like? Well, that is the indication we are getting. Um, but first off, the fact that the Secretary of State went public with well, what he is saying was intelligence that they had collected over months, showing that the Chinese were internally discussing the possibility of lethal aid, um, suggests that the U.S. thinks they can deter China from going ahead with it. I also want to turn the page a little bit and ask about something that I noticed on your Twitter feed this morning. News from Asia about Cambodia informing the WHO that it has two confirmed cases of bird flu in humans. Does that mean that we could be talking about human to human transmission? What do we know about that situation? Well, it's an important story to keep an eye on. I I certainly am. And I know Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who has often been on the show, is watching it carefully, too. The World Health Organization today said it's too early at this point to say there's human to human transmission. It doesn't mean it's not happening. It means they don't know it yet. Um, And this is something that is being watched very carefully. This poor 11-year-old girl and what reportedly is her father both fell ill. She died. Um, And I know there are uh, Cambodian investigators looking at others who came into contact with them to see if this uh, avian flu uh, is now potentially passing between humans. 
It's something we've certainly been seeing impacts from here in the U.S. for the last number of months. I mean, basic things like going to the zoo and the birds, for example, have been not on display here in Seattle at the Woodland Park Zoo or or other impacts mm-hmm. as well. Do Are we waiting for a WHO investigation to conclude here before we know whether this is human to human or what are we waiting for at this moment? Well, Cambodian authorities, uh, in terms of this human infection, uh, are on the front lines of this. Um, here in this country, we've seen this avian flu certainly hit the supply of um, eggs, for example. It's one of the reasons why your egg prices have gone up in price so dramatically of late. But at this point in the United States, we haven't had reports of the bird flu going from um, a bird to a human. This case in Cambodia raises that prospect. And, you know, it, it gets that question again of pandemic preparedness. Um, where you have an, a zoonotic born uh, virus originating out of Asia uh, raises questions again. Do we have adequate stockpiles of um, medicines needed? And do we know the sequence of this exactly? But it does suggest with the WHO comments in their press conference today that they are watching it and talking to Cambodian authorities. That would be a difference from that early stage of for example, COVID-19, where uh, Chinese authorities didn't share information with the WHO until it was, uh, we found out after the fact, well out of control. This weekend, you have an interesting lineup of guests. I see that Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State and National Security Advisor, is booked on your show. Yes, uh, she is. We also have an exclusive interview with CIA Director Bill Burns. Um, So that will be interesting to talk to him about the state of the conflict in Ukraine, uh, what we've been talking about with China uh, and the balance of power. There's a lot of geopolitical risk out there these days. Um, And we want to talk to America's top spy about it. Uh, Condoleezza Rice is an expert on Vladimir Putin and and Russia. So uh, she will be interesting to speak to as well, since she has a lot of firsthand experience with him. And we have the two heads, uh, Republican and Democrat, of the China Select Committee. It's the first congressional committee of its kind. Uh, And we want to talk to them about exactly what they plan to do from their new perch, uh, because there is this a steady drumbeat of concern about China's aggressiveness in the Pacific, its dominance in technology that may threaten America's uh, position um, and other concerns. So we want to talk through a lot of that with them. And I just want to briefly ask your thoughts about that. That new committee, I keep reading that people are pointing to it and saying it might actually be something that could be bipartisan and successful Um, and actually do something. Do you think that's true? Shocking, right? In our state of politics, but I will say, if you look at, um, you know, many of the major uh, polling groups, Pew, Gallup, one of the few things that shows bipartisan concern is this question of American competition with China and China's increased aggressiveness militarily economically in the technology space. So, yes, this is one of those few areas where congressional leaders will say they may be able to find a way to work together. Um, And national security 
it used to be safe to say that was one of those spaces where bipartisanship existed. Certainly on the Intelligence Committee, that exists. I had an interesting conversation with Senator Mark Warner and Senator Marco Rubio about that, their shared concerns um, on things they want to do related to China. We'll talk to these House committee members about this brand new select committee and exactly what they intend to do. Um, expect this to be a major issue in the presidential race in 2024 as well. CBS News Chief Foreign Affairs Correspondent and Face the Nation moderator, Margaret Brennan. Margaret, thank you. Thank you. In the nation's northwest corner is Washington, an evergreen playground. Our resident historian, Felix Bennell, joins us Friday mornings for All Over the Map, a quick look at the stories behind local places and things. This week, say it ain't so, the closure of the last Cal Worthington auto dealership. And this is, of course, an excuse for you, Felix, to play some old radio and TV jingles. It's all I really need. Yeah, you know, um, Cal Worthington's famous West Coast auto dealer with memorable TV commercials. He went into business back in the 40s. He died 10 years ago. Now his grandson says the last Cal Worthington dealership in Long Beach, California, it's going to officially change hands and be renamed BP Ford next week, end of February. Now Cal's most definitely associated with California, but he operated a Ford dealership in Federal Way. He took over the former Jim Houston Ford at the end of 1983 and ran it till about October of 1990. But when Cal arrived, it was a big deal for local television because he already had a famous jingle. Here's Cal Worthington and his dog Spot. You can sing along, everybody, if you want to. Here in the car, here in the studio, it's fine with me. There's about ten verses. We're only going to hear one. Ten verses. All right. Now, um, now he did a localized ending for one of his Federal Way commercials. Listen here for the clever local slogan. How about a Bronco too? A big four-wheel drive Bronco too? Sell it to you for one buck. One buck over the factory invoice, or I'll lease it to you. No money down, 193 a month. Hey, we're going to win that Super Bowl contest, and you're going to be the big winner. You're going to get a heck of a deal. Worthy can forward Federal Way, the only way. Open to midnight every day. See that? Federal Way, the only way. See what he did there? Now, I swear in the earliest commercials around here, he called the road the dealership was on the Pacific Coast Highway. That's not what they called in Federal Way, but that's what they called it in California. That made sense. Now, he sold that dealership back in October of 1990, and that Cal Worthington name went away around here. So it's the end of an era. Great excuse to play some more scratchy audio. Here's one from 1960. This is direct from the heart of little old Lake City. Buy your new Ford in little old Lake City at Bill Pierre Motors, and you'll be sitting pretty. Save 10 bucks a minute and maybe some to spare. In little old Lake City, at little old Bill Pierre, there's a Ford waiting for you that you can buy today. At Bill Pierre Motors, at Bill Pierre Motors, in little old Lake City, 20 minutes away. And that uh, Bill Pierre was founded in 1947, still in business, still going strong in little old Lake City. Now, this next one's from 1983. We're going to hear it in two parts to get the earworm music in first, and then we'll hear the slogan in part two. Does this ring a bell for anybody under the age of 70? <laughs> oh, I, I, we should do, do one on our selection. You know, one-third of our inventory is trucks and four-wheel drives. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. One-third? <laughs> so calm. I love that soft sell. Yeah. Now, here's the clever outro. Big sucker. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew who that second voice was. It sounds a little bit like Larry Nelson, but I don't think it's Larry Nelson from Comb. If anyone knows, hit me up on the text line or send me an email. Here's one of the more interesting or more even infamous local auto dealers. This is from the early 1970s. Hi, I'm Dick Balch, and if you can't trust your car dealer, who can you trust? <laughs> 
That's showbiz. Ta-ta. What just happened? <laughs> he, the, he had very famous TV commercials. He would hit cars with a sledgehammer, like Corvettes oh, and Chevy trucks and stuff. Yeah, yet also in federal, federal ways, there's something special. It attracts yeah. people like Dick Walsh and uh, Kyle Worthington. Anyway, very infamous local dealer. Now, this last one, this is a really weird one here. Um, that name, Ralph Williams, owned a dealership in North Seattle called Northwest Chrysler Plymouth from 1968 to 1970, then had some issues with consumer law stuff and everything. Now, here's a never, this is never actually broadcast. It's an outtaker parody starring a guy named Chick Lambert. So I'm just giving everybody a warning. Before you buy an automobile, make sure you do not drive to 137th and Avenue North in the city of Seattle. Go anyplace else except to that bald-headed <laughs> What? <laughs> Go to YouTube if you want to hear the un- oh unexpurgated version. It's pretty crazy. Um, but that okay. Ralph Williams was the guy. He had a dog named Storm, and that's what inspired Cal Worthington to do the whole dog spot. Yeah. It all kind of comes full circle on these stories. Just, you know, that's what happens on the kind of give you a beginning, middle, and then a nice, satisfying end. So that's it. Good luck to Cal Worthington's uh, family in the future with getting out of the car business. Thank you for all those earworms as well. <laughs> Let's talk about this story. A roller coaster, a new one, being built here in our state in Leavenworth. The general manager of the Leavenworth Adventure Park, John Sutherland, on the line with us this morning. John, I was in Leavenworth earlier this week, and we drove by the coaster construction site, and I was like, what in the world is that thing? When can I go on it? Tell us what this is you're building. Hey, good morning, Travis and everyone. Um, well, it's an alpine coaster, so it's a little different than a regular roller coaster. It's uh, pretty exciting because, you know, you really create your own experience. Um, it's uh, about half a mile from downtown, so it's an easy walk. And um, you have individual sleds where one or two people can ride and um, go up that hill, uh, carried like a roller coaster, basically. Um but it uh, then you kind of create your own experience by controlling your speed all the way down and oh. go thrilling and fast yes. or, or, you know, have a nice scenic ride. And the view from up there is pretty mind boggling. It is stunning. It like has a little lever on the side, right? And that's how you control correct. your speed. OK, I have seen correct, these before. Correct. What a great idea. You know, I know Leavenworth yeah. has been mulling, you know, how to change Oktoberfest, how to make it more family friendly, how, you know. What is the overall, uh, what direction is Leavenworth going in as far as a, a tourist destination? Well, you know, Leavenworth is really a pretty amazing place for us. You know, there's everything going on here. There's arts and there's theater and there's uh, events, as you know, like, you know, the classic Oktoberfest, which, again, they've been kind of working through, you know, what that's going to be in the future. Um, but any type of mountain recreation you can find. So it's it's really been kind of a year-round destination for quite a while. Um, but one thing that is true um, that we realized was that most tourists don't, truly come to Hike Icicle Ridge, you know, they come in to see the town, which is kind of a work in, of art in itself. And um, But there's not tons for families to do. Um, and so we think this is a really great addition for them. Um, you know, we'll have that Alpine Coaster, which is a featured attraction, but we'll also have this custom um, climbing wall that will have four lanes on it that was um, basically it's a sculpture that was sculpted by a local artist. Um, we'll have a bungee trampoline and then this mining sluice activity for kids. Um, and then we have an 8,500 square foot lodge that will have a couple of grab and go food stations and a beautiful place to sit and watch everything. So I think, you know, for family activities like this, it'll be a really great addition. 
We were just there and we took the kids tubing, for example. But then I was like, oh, but if we come back in the summer, it's not like we can go tubing at the Leavenworth Ski Hill. But now we can go down your Alpine coaster during the summer. You can. (laughs) You can. You can go tubing on the river. (laughs) Yeah, not in the snow. right? um, (laughs) Like a billion people. Um, But, uh, yeah, you'll have this opportunity. And it's such a close walk to town. So. Um, we hope it's going to be a really great addition to town. Um, we're also spending a lot of money on it landscaping, so it should be a really great little site there. That's great. And, and just in the, the few seconds we have left with you, what is happening with Oktoberfest? I, I loved going, but I understand why it's not necessarily a, a family-friendly event. Uh, so what, what is happening there? Um, you know, I'm not 100% sure. Last um, year, the guy that originally, you know, I'm not the best person to speak about this, but the guy that um, had been running it for years at that company, they moved their party to Leavenworth and the champ, the great, really great chamber here um, organized the party here. Um, and that's all I really know. I actually okay. don't know what's going to happen in the future, but that's kind of where it ended. <laughs> really <laughs> quickly, that much. Well, what is your timeline for opening the new Alpine Coaster? When can we ride it? We are shooting for late May at this point, okay. but awesome. stay tuned on our website yeah. and com and um, for updates, but that's that's what we're shooting for. I'm there. Awesome. GM of the Leavenworth awesome. Adventure Park, John <laughs> Sutherland. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Good yeah. talking to you this morning. Oh, yeah. Good talking to you guys. Have a wonderful weekend. 716 here on Seattle's Morning News. Big cutoff day at the state legislature and some changes to some controversial bills we've been talking about. Matt Markovich is here to give us a legislative update this morning. Matt, good morning. Good morning, Travis. Day 47 in this 105-day session. And like you said, it's a big cutoff day. Think of it as if we were talking about the NCAA tournament of uh, the men's basketball. We're completing round two today. uh, And then round three ends uh, in about two weeks. So these are all the... All the cutoff dates that these bills have to get moving forward. And now it's going to be really up to the floors of the Senate and the House where the real horse trading is going to be going on about getting some of these bills passed. And so, well, so what's happened to some of the biggest ones? Uh, you probably heard that little news report there that the police pursuit bill, which has been the focus of a lot of attention, actually passed yesterday out of its House Transportation Committee excuse me, 22 to 6. So it's had bipartisan support, but that, but there's a reason for that. They're basically, the Democrats are not happy with the proposals. There's a lot of infighting going on about the police pursuits. And so what they did is, like I said in the story, uh, held their nose and basically passed it out of the committee. Democratic, here's Democratic Senator Joe Timmons. Uh, this bill, uh, I feel like strikes a good balance in terms of permitting law enforcement to engage in pursuit under certain circumstances. But we know that pursuits can have unintended and consequences at the public at large. And so I think that this bill also uh, has checks and balances to try to measure that and have uh, safety for the public at large as well. And just a reminder, basically, it allows police to pursue someone if they have a reasonable suspicion they were involved in a, a violent crime, uh, domestic violence, assault, uh, an escape of some sort, and uh, d- driving under the influence. Now, Republican Eric, Eric Robertson expressed the overall sentiment of the committee. I don't think the bill goes far enough, but let's keep it moving. 
And that's basically what's happening with the police pursuit bill. It's now going to go to a rules committee and then eventually go on to the the House. Now, there was no bill in the Senate, so that's why it's so important to see how this one goes. If it dies in the House, then the, the, all the changes that have been asked for, the law enforcement wants to see, it's just not going to happen. Now, another related bill kind of deals with pursuits and police pulling cars over is this vehicle equipment bill that basically originally it said that uh, it's eliminating fix-it stops. If you see a traffic light, if you, if someone has a taillight out, a broken windshield, right now uh, officers can pull them over and give them a ticket or tell them to give them a fix-it ticket, like go get it fixed. But it's been uh, a reason for people to pull over, and then people, the, a lot of the Democrats have said this uh, this uh, vehicle equipment stop is basically discriminatory, that they point to national and local data that the low-risk traffic violations, uh, including those involving uh, road safety, fall disproportionately on people of color and, and low incomes, and, and biased traffic stops result in a de- decreased sense of safety for all road users and law enforcement. Uh, Democrat Dem- Deborah Intamin says the bill is about preventing unnecessary deaths involving a traffic stop that's on the side of the road. This bill does not decriminalize any act. What we hope to do with this bill is to have fewer interactions so that law enforcement can get home safely to their family and so that those on the road also have that opportunity. But WSP says about 8% of the eight percent of the equipment failure traffic stops they do result in a, an arrest for a DUI. And that's important part of this uh, that the Republicans are pointing out, including Republican Dan Griffey. We have got to do something very drastic to stop the number of Washingtonians that are killed in DUI car crashes. And I think we're going to let some more uh, go through the net on that. So it, it may be going to the uh, the house here, and it's going to uh, get some ch- changes. I think in the, on the house floor, this is where that horse trading is going to come into play uh, because uh, it is an important factor for law enforcement to initiate a traffic stop like this. And then it results in something else. Now, another bill that was very controversial, uh, it kind of goes against common sense when you talk about a legalizing jaywalking as a safety measure. There was a significant change in this. They, they basically said you could legally, originally, le- you could walk across any road, and we're talking highways here, uh, at a point where you know, you're not going to cause a crash. That's that. That was it. Those and you had basically the only time you had to abide by the jaywalking uh, rules was actually in the crosswalk. We couldn't walk across a red light in a crosswalk. So what they did is they modified it. That now it says they're going to allow jaywalking on roads with a posted speed limit of 45 miles per hour or less. And when there's no signs, jaywalking will be allowed. As long as a pedestrian doesn't impede the flow of traffic. That's the exact language in the bill. Now, it restores the prohibition that pedestrians may not cross a roadway at an unmarked crosswalk where a sign says you can't cross. So you couldn't cross against a sign that says no jaywalking. But it also puts more responsibility on the jaywalker to simply not step off the curb and expect traffic to stop for them. And that's kind of the assumption right now. It does put more responsibility on the jaywalker. 
uh, or I guess we can call him jaywalker anymore, maybe the pedestrian who's going to cross the road. Now, Democratic Senator Liz Lovelet says allowing jaywalking reduces the interactions with police and unnecessary confrontations. We are really working on traffic safety and ensuring that all road users uh, have the ability to, to move freely and uh, causing a hazard for other road users, then you shouldn't necessarily need to have a point of contact with law enforcement. So that's a big deal for the Democrats to avoid this confrontation. Uh, if you don't have the cars on the side of the road, they're less likely going to get hit. Now, Republican Senator Chris King is skeptical. I think we are truly putting people in harm's way. I have concerns about the 45 mile an hour speed limit. In trying to reach zero deaths on our highways, this bill uh, is not going to help us get there. Yeah, we had uh, 745 uh, traffic deaths last year, and that was a record in the lap for 20 for the last 15 years. I mean, it's a it's just been going up despite these efforts to increase safety along the road, Travis. And one more thing, uh, I want to point out because another big deal was the Blake decision, which was the legalization of of uh, personal pos- amounts of illegal drugs. Well, basically, it's going to move through. It moved through a big had a big vote yesterday. And the fix is basically going to come down to that if you you accept drug treatment, you're caught with drugs, you accept drug treatment on the spot, and you finish it, then any crimes against you involving a drug possession would be vacated. And that's going to be real expensive because someone's going to be paying for all this drug treatment. And it's not going to be the cities and counties. They want the state to pay for it. Yeah, Travis. taxpayers are going to pay for it. All right, Matt, thank yeah. you very much. Keep us posted on where these ultimately end up. We appreciate your time this morning. Great advice. Your daily dose of kindness now brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. An elderly high school janitor was forced to come out of retirement because his rent was increased. But three students were trying to make it possible for him to retire again. Mr. James, he's 80 years old, returned to work last month at Callisburg High School in Texas, just north of Dallas. Two of the students, Marty Yusko and Grayson Thurman spoke with KDFW TV. The GoFundMe they started is called Getting Mr. James Out of This School. It's insane. Crazy. We didn't, I mean, starting this, we knew and being in a small town like Kalisburg that people would want to help and people would want to support us, especially with something like this. They originally set the goal at $10,000 to cover his rent, his food, his monthly bills, but as of today, it's at two hundred and fifty three thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! From eight thousand donors. Wow! They love him. Principal Jason Hooper says he's proud of these students. He doesn't want any part of the spotlight. Um, he's very appreciative of what these students have done. The students say they knew people would support Mr. James. However, they had no idea the campaign would gain so much traction. I just have to say, too, this is the third story I've covered of an elderly person who still has to work or has come out of work that needs help because of rent increases, life circumstances, mortgages. This should not be happening in America. And what does it say that good on these folks for doing this GoFundMe? That's amazing. Yeah. But that we live in a society where we have to GoFundMe our elder care. Yes. What does that say about us as a culture? Exactly. There is a problem in this country. Absolutely. So while this is heartwarming, let's just take stock of that. This is the third story now. More of these are coming to light. So hopefully we can talk more about this, maybe work on some solutions. I hope so. 
Welcome back to Seattle's Morning News Now from the G and Ursula Show. Weekdays 9 to noon here on Cairo News Radio. G. Scott, this is a big story oh, breaking man. this morning. Russell Wilson apparently wanted Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll and the GM, mm-hmm. John Schneider, fired yeah. and replaced with Sean Payton. Mm-hmm. Who just so happens to now coach or did coach the Broncos now, et cetera. Correct. The report says Wilson made the demands in February of last year. Uh-huh. Gee, what do we make of this? First, do we believe it? Because this is the citing sources kind of a yes, no. What do you think? Where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys mind going through my emotions and thought process about this particular yeah, story this morning? Please do. Is, is, is okay? yeah. nope. yeah. I'll work? put my therapy yeah. glasses on. Can I yeah. work it out on, on air? Yes, please I'm do. I'm on your couch, Travis yeah. All right, and All right. Okay. Early this morning, I see it. I actually got a little wind of it coming out. So this morning, I see the article. I read it. My first thought was, mm, I don't know about all of this. If they just would have left Pete Carroll on there, mm-hmm. okay, that's believable. I'm done. Yeah. But the fact that they had Pete Carroll and John Schneider, there's a red flag for me on the story. I'm not saying the story that I don't believe it. Let me explain the red flag. Okay. John Schneider got a new contract in January of 2021 that carries him through 2027. So this is a guaranteed contract that he's going to get. So if Russell and or his agent or his team were to say, hey, ownership, we want you to get rid of Pete Carroll and John Schneider, that really wouldn't make any sense because if ownership says, oh, okay, Russell, let's do that, then they would be on the hook. And by the way, Pete Carroll is on contract through 2025. I also think no QB is good enough to call for the firing of those types of individuals, right? You would think, but then there's Russell. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. Here goes and the I'm, roller coaster. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you bring that up. The narcissism. Yeah. That is going on yeah. with him. Yeah. I don't understand what's going on. I don't get it. I don't know what changed. I remember the Russell of 2012, and I remember the Russell of 2013. And I got to tell you guys. I really loved Russell during that time. And something happened. I don't know what it is, but something happened. Success, money, fame. Uh, Well, well, they all got success, money, and fame, right? They all did. Yeah. They, They all of them. But even here we are current day. And back to this article, do I believe it? If I was a betting man, yeah. Because narcissism? We'll do that. For some reason, I do believe that, and it's it's not even, it's knowledge that Russell didn't see eye to eye with Pete. Sure. Right? Like, that was out That was out there. No, no doubt about it. So I could see that him for sure wanting Pete gone. Maybe on the side of Russell's agent, Russell's agent probably, maybe he didn't have a good relationship with John Schneider. So maybe the combination of the two might have ended up wanting the both of them. But the question is, do I believe this story? The answer is, hell yeah, I do. Well, Russell doesn't want you to believe it. He tweeted out, let's see, at 5.30 this morning, Mm -hmm. I love Pete, and he was a father figure to me, and John believed in me and drafted me as well. I never wanted them fired. All of us wanted, all any of us wanted was to win. I'll always have respect for them and love for Seattle. 
I am glad while I'm laying on your couch that you brought that tweet up because as I'm walking you guys through my emotions and what I have my thought process this morning, when I saw that tweet, that tweet actually helped me lean towards believing Same. the story Same. Me too. More. Same. Because well, he usually yep. doesn't come out and comment That's on stuff right. like this. He right. usually just goes yep. and like blesses, ready to ride right. or whatever. Well, here's, 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 here's why. Because I look at the people that wrote the article. I actually respect some of the writers that wrote that article. And I know how the media game goes. Russell, I guarantee, knew about this article before it hit this ground. They have to ask for comment. So instead, there's some back channel probably stuff going on. So he waits for the article to hit. Then he responds. That tweet made me lean into thinking, okay, there's a little bit more smoke there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what do we do with this information, though? Is it, whew, glad he's not on our team anymore. No, we we push it over to the, oh, that's what I thought, section. Uh That's what I thought, section. And we put this in the same category as Sean Alexander. Russell Wilson is today's Sean Alexander for the Seahawks. And what I mean by that is, is just this weirdness. And here's after he's done playing, you got to think, will Russell have a fan base anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. G. Scott, always with the roller coaster. We appreciate you taking us along for the ride this morning. That yeah. was. I'll bill your ride. insurance for that session, okay? <laughs> Welcome back to Seattle's Morning News. Mickey Gomez joining us now to discuss the difference between how old you actually are, like your numerical age, and how old you think you are in your brain. This is a piece from The Atlantic. And apparently yeah. there's even some research. We think we're 20% younger than we actually are. Right. It's called subjective age. Okay. And it's where you believe that you're younger than you actually are. So in your mind, yeah. how old are you? Yeah. yeah. How, how, I'm asking. Oh, okay. I'm 45, and in my brain, I'm like 32, 33. Okay. I just turned 38, and I still feel like maybe I'm in my young 30s. I'm 53, mm-hmm. and I feel... I act like I'm 17 or 12, okay, right. but I definitely, my knees, hips, and back feel 65. Okay, but this isn't a physical feeling. Yeah. No, no, this is in your brain, right? This is in, in your, your mind. mind. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like 28. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yes. So this is all good news for all of us because physiologists want us to feel younger because the younger we feel, it probably means that we are active. Even though we have the aches and the pains, that's a given because we're getting older, but it's important because of health issues that come with getting older. Older, like Alzheimer's and dementia. So on average, people over 40 have this perception that they are 20% younger than they actually yeah. are. I'll be 51 on Tuesday, but in my mind, I'm 31. And so there's mm-hmm. actually some type of like science behind the reason why or some, some type of psychology behind the reason why we feel the way we feel. For instance, I feel 31 in my mind. I vividly remember turning 31. Ah. It was also the year that I fell in love with my wife. And it was also the year where I fell in love with myself. So 
psychologists, physiologists say that there is something behind the reason why we feel that age. And so a lot of times um, there's some type of emotion or, or, or memory that's associated with the age we feel that we are. This makes so much sense to me because I've always believed that people choose a year in their life and they think that was the one. Was and then that? they just stick with yeah, it. Like yeah. 1997 will forever be fashion's peak in oh. my brain, pop culture peak. Like everything is just You're compared not to 1997. It was Justin Timberlake. <laughs> it was, like, yeah. it was so good. Like, and it's just been downhill <laughs> since then. Yeah. It was really working up to it until we got to 1997. Yeah. I was in college. Like, you know, all those and what things. what age was that for you again? Yeah, so I was I was probably, I was 18. I know, oh. no, I was like 20. I was 20. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's your, that yeah, you still that, that's feel the like year. But I don't feel like I'm a 20-year-old, but oh. that's the year in my brain that like the peak of everything that was amazing and I still look like I'm dressed from 1997 <laughs> and when that like coolness comes back around, I'm like, oh yeah, it's my year again. No, it's, it's, total, that, like, the 90s it's are coming totally back. Yeah. It's yeah. here. Yeah, I know. You're, you're you look you look young. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, where did that old man come from? So one of our Tell listeners, Annette, it. she wrote us. She said, I'm 63 and physically I'm close to my real age. But in my head, I'm definitely still a 30 year old. Yeah. Though yeah. I do still have yep. the get off my lawn moments. Isn't that powerful, though, when you reach mm-hmm. that age where you're like, no, I, I've lived long enough that I don't want loud kids near get off my lawn yeah. but you can still have fun and feel like you're 30 yeah. to me that's ultimate freedom Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. You know what's really interesting is that in my mind's eye when I visualize my mom who is no longer with us in my mind she's 46 sure. Yeah. even though yeah. she was 73 when she passed she passed very young in my in my opinion but yeah she she's 46 she comes to me in my dreams age yep. 46 in my mind when I think about her she's that age that's so interesting because in this article I mm-hmm. read further about like in the, the the medieval times they would ask people what age you think you are in heaven mm. apparently and it was like thirty three mm. and, and that's because of yeah, the because age of when the Jesus age, died right. and right. Like whatever but also like thirty three was kind of like your prime sure <laughs> in the middle middle yeah. you, you know you, you probably <laughs> didn't have too many more shopping days <laughs> right. left till Christmas yeah. at thirty three back it is then interesting. did the article give any advice on because what I hear a lot from uh, you know those who are in the their 60s and maybe 70s is they go, I feel like I'm still 35, but I look in the mirror and I go, who is that old person? That's such a phenomenon. Yeah. I hear from that age range all the time. And I'm just curious what what advice there is out there for those who look in the mirror and, and may not l- I guess, recognize the reflection. Mm-hmm. How do you still go about feeling like you're 30 when you're looking in the mirror and you see somebody who's 75? Well, you got to get yourself out there. Yeah. You got you yeah. to get out there. That you is get, true. You the older put the, you get, you the more the isolated. On. Yeah. You got to tie up those laces. You got to get out there. You got to be you got to become active, mm-hmm. you know, and like you and I like to wink, wink. A little Botox never hurt anybody. Oh, you know what I mean? No. But you just you have to start getting active. You got to do the puzzles. You got to start reading. You got to get you got to get social. out and get social, yeah. which is hard for some people, especially those that can't get up and, you know, who who feel that way. My mom used to always tell me that. Look at me. Yes, and I'm like you're you beautiful. Heard it too. Yeah. Right. You're beautiful. What are you talking about? She's like, just look at me. I still I'm feel like, like I'm 30, but look at me. Yeah, right. And I, I would say, well, let's go. Let's get out. So we would. I would. I would try and keep her active. My mom also had a critical illness as well, That's but hard. there are some that that don't and look in the mirror and say, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah, how I know that. I so you got to get feeling. active. Yeah, you, you know, put a little put a little cream on the face. 
tie up those, lace up those tennis shoes and get out and walk around your block. Go become a part of a social group. Just start becoming more active. And, it, and we've talked about it before. It's tough to make friends as adults, but you got to keep trying. It's that, right. I, yeah. We learned that in the pandemic. It's the isolation that'll bring it down. Yeah, so. it really will. Go well, and learn something new. I support you guys feeling forever 30 or forever 31 or, uh, you know, however you want. Forever 17 for Sully. Well, they also <laughs> really said more that, like 11. They also <laughs> said... <laughs> making well, fart jokes over there. Oh, my gosh. So I'm yeah. the one that makes the fart <laughs> jokes. Okay. <laughs> I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.